having a great new year already. Um, you know, so many of us, we want to live lives of meaning. We want to live lives of purpose and, and we want experiences that are rich and deep. And yet, when I look at life, I feel like most of us, we just sort of skim across the surface of this thing we call life. Um, even for those of us that follow Jesus, the routines and the rhythms of this chaotic world that we live in, they make it difficult for us to actually experience what we believe is true. Like we believe there's something out there. We believe there are things that are available to us, but do we actually experience them? Like how do we bridge the gap between how we wanna live and how we actually live? Like what does it look like to live lives as a person who really knows and follows Jesus? How do we become aware of God's presence around us and in the world? Like what does it look like to become what Jesus calls the new humanity? You know, a few years ago, I was reading this book by Mark Scandretti and he said this, he said, if Jesus of Nazareth demonstrated and taught a revolutionary way of love that is actually possible, alive with healing and hope, then we need a path for experiencing that revolution in the details of our daily lives. I love that. He says, we need a path for experiencing the revolution. Here's why I love that language, because it mirrors the exact same language that Jesus talked about when he talked about himself. Jesus literally described himself as the way. A couple thousand years later, there's an American poet named Robert Frost, and he talks about there being two roads and him choosing the one less traveled. Jesus used the same language. He said, there are wide roads and there are narrow roads. And he said, I am the way of the narrow and very few people experience this life that I'm offering. So when Jesus talked about who he was, he was describing himself as this way. Now, that word sounds really simple. It sounds like a noun, you know, it's just describing something like this, a sidewalk where stumps and rocks have been moved and things have been paved over. We put signs up and it points in a particular direction. But a way is more than just a noun. It's not just the path you're on. A way describes how we get things done. So, when Jesus is talking about being the way, it seems like he's equally referencing the means by which we get there, not just the destination, not just where we get to in the end. Uh, is it by foot? Is it by bike? Is it by car? Is it by train? How do we get there? And it's as much about how we actually get things done. Maybe you heard somebody in the past say, well, that's the American way to do things. Well, they're not talking about a path. They're talking about how something gets done. So whatever Jesus is describing, it impacts the way that we do things, the way that we use our influence, the way that we treat each other, the way that we love each other, the way that we think, the way that we find meaning, the way that we play and entertain ourselves, all of these things we might call the Jesus way. And here's what's interesting. Jesus says that it's him that's the way. The path is him. He doesn't say, oh, I'm glad you found me and here's this road that you need to, to get on and, and go over there and, and do these things. He actually says, I am the way, I am the path. He invites us to go with him and he walks us through experiences and, and moments in life and there's all sorts of terrain and weather that we encounter as we go with him. So, so naturally, this leads to Jesus's first instruction. When people were gathering around him and they were starting to, to listen to his teaching, Jesus invited them to join him with two simple words. He said, follow 
me. Follow me. And that's what this is all about, following him. In fact, um, Jesus invited us to simply do what he did. That's what he was asking us to do. And to, to follow Jesus implies that we enter into a life that's given character and given shape and direction by the one who calls us, the one that's leading us. It, it means that, that when we're following Jesus, we can't separate Jesus and, and what he's saying from what he's actually doing in his life. To follow Jesus maybe as much about our feet or maybe even more about our feet than about our eyes or our ears. In other words, he's saying to us, I want you to dream up your whole life again and think of it in entirely new ways. So, I remember when this whole idea first hit me. Uh, I mean, I thought that I was a Christian. I, I knew who Jesus was. I, I even believed uh, what some would call the right things about Jesus. But I wasn't really following Jesus. In fact, at best, I had just sort of invited Jesus along for the ride in my own life. Like somebody told me like, your life is gonna be better if Jesus joins you. But I wasn't following him. It was more like I asked him to follow me. And so after I hit a wall, I started asking some questions and, and I noticed something. I noticed that those who first heard his message, they began to make dramatic changes in their lives based on his direction. They quit following their direction and they started following his direction. Uh, when I saw that, I made some pretty radical changes in my own life. I, I looked at my life and I knew I can't keep going like this. Like I need to follow Jesus. And, and I mean, I made some huge changes where I lived and where I went to school and, and what I did and how I found my identity. All of that stuff changed because I wanted my life to look like his. See, that's what this is all about. And here's what's really weird. Today, there are millions of people on this earth who call themselves followers of Jesus, but their lives look nothing like his. Oh. You know, when we were kids, it was a lot easier. Um, when we were kids, we played this game called Follow the Leader, and it's a pretty easy game. You know, if the leader climbs a tree, you climb a tree. If they go over a fence, you go over a fence. If they duck under a log, you duck under a log. You do what the leader does. But in the church today, we've done this weird thing where we say, well, the rules for following Jesus are different than the rules for follow the leader. Like, we don't actually have to do what he does. We just do it in our hearts. Like, it doesn't even make sense to me. I mean, can you imagine a kid, like his friends are playing follow the leader and he's in a hammock just watching them. And he says, oh no, guys, I'm climbing that fence in my heart. Or, or I looked up the Greek word for climb and I did a word study on what it really means and now I have this deeper understanding of what you're doing as you climb the fence. Or, or I'm gonna have a few friends over and we're gonna talk about what it would be like to climb a fence. You can do all that stuff and none of it's actually following the leader. I'm pretty sure that's what Jesus was getting at in, in Luke chapter six. In Luke chapter six, he says, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I do? You don't do what I tell you to do. Or in Matthew seven, he says, if you want to experience this way, 
you have to do what I'm actually saying. Like, he says it's pretty simple. When you follow me, you follow me. You do what I do. That really brings us to the whole point of this series that we're launching today. Today we're starting a series called Follow and, and we're talking about how we find new life through ancient pathways. Um, you know, for centuries people have engaged in practices or habits that actually allowed them to live the way of Jesus. And this series is about helping you discover those ways, the, the way of truth, the way of rest, a way of interdependence, a way of beauty, way of, of resilience. We're gonna talk about those things. And we're gonna talk about what I'm gonna talk about now, and that's the way of listening. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to imagine right now that someone's placing a blindfold over your eyes, like everything being dark. Now, it's not that big of a deal if you're just standing still, right? But now imagine that that person that puts the blindfold on you, they tell you that you're gonna go somewhere. And, and the way you're gonna go, the way you're gonna get to where you're going is by listening to the sound of their voice. So now, how you're gonna avoid obstacles and how you're gonna know what turns to make or what steps to take will be dependent on your ability to hear and listen to their voice. In a way, that's what it's like following Jesus today. When we look back at the first followers of Jesus, they had what seemed to be a significant advantage over us, right? They had, they had Jesus's visible, physical presence in front of them. They were able to watch him. They were able to listen to his audible voice. Like when Jesus said, follow me, they just literally followed him because he was physically there. But then I think about us, like what about us? Jesus is never gonna take our hand and pull us in his direction. We can't actually see where he's headed. The only way that we're gonna get where he wants us to go is by listening to his voice. It's like we're blindfolded, listening for him. Except we're not blindfolded in a quiet room where his voice is the only sound. We live in this world where there's all of this noise. It's like there's a stadium full of people who are shouting instructions and telling us what we should or shouldn't do. And somehow in all of that chaos and noise, we're trying to discern his voice. So how do we do this? How do we listen to Jesus? So here's what's interesting about the first followers of Jesus. It wasn't long until they were in the same situation that we find ourselves in. Um, Jesus put the blindfolds on. We read about it at the beginning of the book of Acts. Um, Jesus gathers his disciples together for some final words of instruction, and then he ascends into heaven. Like he's been telling them to follow him, and they did. Everywhere he went, they went. But now he makes that physically impossible. He says, follow me, and then he exits stage left. So what did they do? How did they follow Jesus in the weeks and the months and the years that followed? Well, it turns out that they did what people had been doing for centuries. They started listening to God. They meditated, and, and they meditated on scripture. 
The Hebrew writers of the Old Testament, they use two different words to convey the idea of meditation and together they're used like 58 times in the Bible. One of them is the word Hagah and the other one is Sayak. And those words mean to ponder, they mean to consider, they mean to, to listen and, and to lean in, to ruminate. In fact, some of those meanings actually talk about us wrestling with words and bringing them into ourselves. All of this on God's word, God's deeds, God's beauty, his works. You meditate on those things. It's this idea that we focus on who God is and what he said and what he's done. And then we just let that sink deeply into our hearts, like in such a way that it changes us. We hagah, we sayak on God. We let this soak into our being. In fact, the psalmist says this, the psalmist says, oh, how I love the law, it's my meditation all day long. I think about you on my bed, I meditate you in the watches of the night, my eyes are awake that I may meditate on your promise. We read about Isaac and Eli and Samuel and David and Isaiah, Jeremiah, they all hagad the word of God, they meditated on his word. Like the early Christian church, when you fast forward to the New Testament, they described this in a really specific, particular way. In Acts chapter two, in the first days of them not being able to physically follow Jesus, we read this in verse 42 of Acts chapter two. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? So they could listen to and follow the voice of Jesus. Thomas Akempis described this practice as, a, as us growing into a familiar friendship with Jesus. We become friends with Jesus. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was asked why he meditated and he said, because I'm a Christian. <laughs> it's just a foregone conclusion. So what are we talking about exactly? So Richard Foster, he, he says that when we meditate on scripture, listen to this, he says, we create the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ to construct an inner sanctuary in our heart. In other words, we're leaning in and we're listening to God. We're, we're allowing him to speak to our hearts, the deeper things that are going on inside of us. We allow him to address our concerns and we, we bring our questions to him and we wrestle with him. And we create this space for him to move in our lives, to shape us. Christians throughout the centuries, they've spoken of a variety of ways of listening to God to communicate with their creator. And the first among them is this idea of meditation. Now it's really important that we understand we're not talking about studying the scriptures. We're talking about something that's more personal, something that's more intimate. When we talk about meditating on the scripture, it, it really centers on us internalizing or us personalizing whatever it is that we've just read. Um, this isn't the time for technical analysis. It's, it's us leaning into the text to just simply hear from God, like letting God speak to us through his word. Let me give you an example of this. There's a moment in John chapter 14 where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, my peace 
I give to you. Now, if I was studying that passage, I'd be looking up the word peace and seeing what word he used, and I'd be um, breaking it all down, like how does Jesus actually give us the peace, and I'd be coming up with an outline and all those sorts of things. But when I'm meditating on scripture, what I'm really doing is trying to experience what Jesus is talking about. Like, if I read Jesus saying that he gives me peace, then I want to experience that peace in the moment. I, I want to experience the reality of what he's saying. I want my heart and I want my mind, I want my spirit to be awakened to and then transformed by this peace that he gives to us. Like right now, in the moment that I'm reading it and thinking about it and I'm taking it in and I'm actually being transformed by his peace. That's what we do when we meditate. What I'm describing is something that's been done by Jesus followers forever. In fact, there's a Latin term for this. It's called the Lectio Divina, and it literally means the divine reading. Uh, in the third century, one of the early church fathers described this way of us approaching scripture with an expectation of hearing from God. Like when we open his living word, we're gonna hear God speak to us. He talked about meeting God in the scriptures. And then this practice became more widespread when the desert fathers and, and desert mothers made the word of God the basis for their prayer lives. So for centuries, this idea of Lectio Divina has continued to be this life-giving practice that draws us into intimacy with God that leads to very real transformation. So let me say this, there are times in my relationship with Jesus, just like any other relationship where um, things go stale. Uh, it just gets flat. Maybe a few days go by and I'm kind of wondering like, like what's the deal? Where's the life? Where's the vibrancy of my relationship with Jesus? And, and this is what I've come to realize time and time again in those moments. Usually when I feel that way, it's because I've stopped listening to him. I got busy, I got distracted, and I, I stopped listening, like I plugged my ears, and now I'm, I'm blindfolded, and I'm unable to hear, and I find myself just stumbling around, I'm tripping over the furniture, and, and I'm, I'm kind of bumping into things in life, making wrong turns, and doing and saying things that I regret. But then I come back, and, and this is what I've discovered time and time again. I've discovered that all it takes is for me to sit down and open his word and crack open my journal and then just listen and he speaks life and peace and purpose and it doesn't take very long for the joy to return so what does this really look like i want to do something different in this moment i want to walk through this practice and just describe to you how i do it the way that i do it um, th this practice really consists of some distinct movements, five of them, and none of them really take that long. But I just want to give you an idea of what I do. The, the first part of this Lectio Divina is called silencio, and, and really it's just talking about sitting in silence, and it's preparing to meet with God. Um, I usually will find a space where I can just turn off the noise. I'll, I'll get rid of my phone, I'll, I'll make sure that I'm not using my iPad for my Bible. I, I, I find some place that's quiet and then I literally take about a minute to just breathe and prepare myself and sometimes pray and just simply ask God to speak. And then um, the Lectio, the reading. 
uh, I'll find a short passage in the scriptures, and, and it's never a huge chunk. I'm not trying to read through the Bible in a, in a day or anything like that. I'm just finding something that's just a small piece of the scripture, and then I just begin to read it, and I take my time. And as I move through the text, I just pay close attention to the words or to the phrases or the ideas that are drawing my attention. And, and I'm looking like, God, is there something here that you're speaking to me? And then when my, my attention is drawn to a specific word or a specific thought, that's when I'll pause to reflect. I'll say, okay, my attention's being drawn here and God's leading me to this. And so then I spend some time just reflecting, like, is there something in this word for me? Sometimes I'll even write that part of the verse or verses down in my journal and just begin to underline words and think through this, like, God, are you speaking something to me in this? And then I move to the reflection or the meditatio. Uh, I, I go back to the beginning of the passage and I read it again. And on my second time through the text, I just allow it to connect with me personally. Which words, which phrases, um, which which things are speaking to me in a, in a specific way? Like, is there something that resonates with my heart? Or is there something that I'm wrestling with in the moment that it speaks to? There's so many times when I... I just like might be wrestling with something or dealing with something personally and I, I'll, I'll say like, Lord, what is this thing that I'm reading right now speak to whatever it is that I'm wrestling with? What do I need to know? Who do I need to be in light of what I'm reading? What does this mean for me today? And so I, I take that time and then I go move to a ratio or the response. And personally, I always choose to write this part out. It just helps me focus. Uh, helps me really think about what I've just heard. Sometimes it's just a few sentences in my journal. Um, sometimes it's a few pages in my journal because God really speaks something profound. But the idea is that I just simply respond back to God like, okay, God, I hear you and I sense that this is what you're saying to me and, and these are the implications of all that you're speaking to my life right now. So finally, the last part is the contemplatio or what I describe as the rest. Uh, when I'm done writing, I just take a moment to pause and just sit in God's presence before I run off into whatever's next. Uh, I might take a moment just to say, God, I'm grateful for this, or maybe a simple prayer, but it's really just another quiet moment before I begin to move into my day. And what's amazing is how vital this has become in my relationship with Jesus and how frequently I actually experience Him speaking into my life. In fact, um, just just the other day, I started my day off on the wrong foot. Um, first, it was a Monday, and we all know how Mondays go, need I say more. But I didn't get a great night's sleep. And uh, when I woke up, my mind was just racing with all of these things that were on my agenda. I went downstairs, like started my day, and I went downstairs in our house, and uh, our house looked like we had had a busy weekend, if you know what I'm talking about. There were things everywhere. It was just sort of scattered and disorienting. And so I started picking up and cleaning, and I got grumpy while I was cleaning, and I started to get a chip on my shoulder. And then as I finally got all of that done, I made a cup of coffee, and I went to my car, and as I was getting in the car, I spilled my coffee in the seat of my car, and so the day was not off to a good start. And uh, I could just feel my blood pressure rising. Fortunately, when I got to my office, nobody was around because I was definitely in a mood. And then I just tore into my, my week. I just started organizing everything. I'm firing off emails. And my mind and my emotions, they were not in a good place. And in the back of my mind, I knew, I knew like of all the days, this is not the day to skip this. But I just kept plowing forward. And then after a couple of hours like this, I realized like, 
I need to find a couple of minutes and I need to do the Lectio. Like I've got to do something to bring Jesus into this day. And so um, I opened my Bible, I found a few minutes, I opened my Bible and I, and I got my journal out and I basically dared Jesus. Like I dare you to speak to me in this moment and correct this attitude that I have. And what's unbelievable is that within minutes, I was reading something that spoke specifically and exactly to what I was experiencing. Like it was exactly what I needed to hear. And I began to work through this process. And within a few more minutes, I literally sensed something just shifting inside of me, which shouldn't be that surprising because I was listening to Jesus. That's what the way of listening is all about. So as you begin this year, I want to encourage you to lean into this first practice that we're talking about. We, we have a variety of journals and guides, Lectio Divina journals. We have a, a bookmark that's available um, that are, that'll help you along the way, or maybe I should say help you live the Jesus way. And I encourage you, next time you're with us on a Sunday, stop by, pick one of those up, and make this practice something that's a part of your everyday experience. So with that, may you be men and women who listen to Jesus and may you hear his voice and may you have courage to live the way he's leading you to live.